Hello, and welcome to the BS with Friends podcast, a subsidiary of the Bader and Simon Gallery, scheduled to open in Cincinnati, Ohio in early 2025. I'm your host, Tamara White, founder and board president of Bader and Simon. In this podcast, we will discuss art, social justice, and well, basic BS with friends. Our approach is a bit lighter and irreverent, and as a warning for those with young ones nearby, there is a chance that colorful language might be used from time to time. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the episode. Rebecca Lee Kunz is a multimedia artist and illustrator working at the intersection of environmental justice and cultural awareness. A citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, Rebecca's work draws upon tribal iconography and archetypical symbolism. She infuses mythology into her work where she is in conversation with each folktale as a living and ever-changing story. As these myths are woven into each piece, they serve as hardworking and flourishing historical narratives. A visual storyteller and folklorist, she hopes to illuminate awareness about our shifting cultural climate and to inspire solutions to the social and environmental issues of today. As the business owner and artist behind the Tree of Life studio since 2007, Rebecca lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she sells her work both online and in galleries and museum shops. You can learn more about her work on her blog, where she not only writes about her work, but gives resources and actionable items for climate change. Thank you for being here and for all that you're doing. Thank you for having me. So just to start off, what inspired you to use your artistic talents to address climate change? And how do you believe art can contribute to raising awareness about these environmental issues? Okay, I, I am an artist through and through and have been known I have been since the beginning. And, and so I live and breathe my art. It is, it is my calling and I feel lucky enough to be a working artist and to have found my calling early on in my life uh, due to a great amount of support uh, from my family and later on through my community and friends. And it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't feel like a choice <laughs> to make art because uh, it would be quite torturous to not make art at this point in my life. And um, so it is, my art is my direct expression of my love and my passion for our planet and it is my gift of action. Everything I believe that everything we do carries our specific imprint or our own expression with it. And because of that, I feel I have to be mindful about what I breathe life into, mindful about what my imprint on this world is, and mindful about what I am expressing and bringing to the world. And a lot of this has come as I've grown older and through being a mother and my life experiences. And, and because through our actions and thinking and the art we make and the things we do in the world, I believe we are creating a world through which we and future generations will live. And so this is an incredible gift. And 
It can also be a burden, can feel burdensome at times, but mostly I try to take it as a gift and it can be used in so many different ways. And I, I feel that my responsibility is, is to the greatest, is to create the greatest possible possible positive impact on my audience and anyone I come in contact with by bringing forth a sense of change and that beauty and change are possible hand in hand. Clean air and healthy ecosystems, climate change solutions are possible. And I have I have a number of practices that help me. I've developed over my over time I have practices that I draw from and that I start my day with and my spiritual, physical, emotional practices are key to everything. And I feel very grateful to be able to have those practices and to have developed them. And I also acknowledge that not everyone has the resources to do that. And I feel grateful for that, but they truly help me. My practice that I start my day with help me to align myself to the world and to my goals and to the rest of the world and this is how i fill my my spiritual well and with that without that uh it feels much harder for me to be coming from this place of possibility and hope for change and so i attribute a lot of what i do to that uh, and then i have I have other practices when i have time that for calling forth my creative um, um, visions, I through I have developed a practice of asking and praying for messages and guidance and images directly, specifically imagery and images, um, and I ask that it be come through all of these, this through prayer and through. Just my my feeling that I I am connecting with uh, what I call it the collective the collective creative is what I I like to call it the collective unconsciousness of the world and this is where I draw my strength and my inspiration and and from after asking directly asking messages and imagery images oftentimes things will come to me and ideas and. <laughs> It's it's become something I rely on, and I really take great joy in the practices I've developed. And um, I like to say to other creatives or other humans, I'll meet you at the well. I'll meet you there at this collective creative well, our collective unconscious. And this is where we all meet, where we all speak the same language. And I truly believe that even if we have not all acknowledged that or we all notice that, I do believe we have a common place where we can all meet. Um, and I take that with me and attempt to bring it into the physical world, into my art, and in a way that people can relate to and understand. I have a lot more that I could say about that, but I feel like... Well, you had mentioned, it sounds to me like having this artistic passion, and it's sort of such a part of your being, like living and breathing and everything else, but you had mentioned that it's also a burden. And I'm sort of curious mm-hmm. what what that feels like, that burdensome part of this craft. It can feel because when I do invite in ideas and images, they can come in floods and flood everything to where I feel like if I don't create or I don't 
impart this these ideas that uh, then I'm not doing my I'm not fulfilling my spiritual path or my ideas. I'm not living up to my the ideas that I've been have asked for. And then sometimes I don't have time and off many times. And I just I write that I try to write things down as much as I can. But sometimes if I don't create these ideas that have come to me they can come back and haunt me and or in, in, in the middle of the night when we wake up as mothers, as we often do. Um, just I have a lot of waking hours in the middle of the night that I think about the things, the work I haven't done or what I have, wish I had done differently. And I think that's where the, <laughs> I try not to focus on it too much, but that's where that word torture comes in. Yeah, sort of <laughs> like, you don't have enough time to keep up with the ideas. I, you know, I do yes. know what that's like. And I think so. With all of the work that you're doing, what is your hope and how your work can influence people and their perception and attitudes specifically around climate change? And and are you hoping for a specific reaction or response to the work? I'm not specifically aiming for a specific reaction, but I am I do have a, a specific goal my aim is to inspire and to transform pain and despair, specifically climate despair, which is very common right now, especially with young people. I, my aim, my goal is to trans help myself and others around me to transform that pain into action. And because I, because I have three children, two of which are now teenagers, there is a very regular conversation about um, the fear that they are. Uh, what they have been left with, the problems they have been left with are not fixable. There's not enough time. There's a dystopian mindset that of scarcity that I feel can be quite dangerous and it feels immobile. It's immobilizing. And I think it, it prevents people from going into action mode. And so my, my hope, my aim is to instill a sense of possibility and help to catapult people into action instead of just reaction. And I know how how painful climate despair and can be, and it can be it can make us feel frozen. I I deeply understand that, and I have to work through that all the time. And I try and help my children find ways to work through that. Uh, but uh, there's a quote that I love. I hope I'll say it correctly from Sylvia Burstein who's a Buddhist and climate activist, she says about um, beauty, which I believe is my art form, what I'm bringing into the world. She says that we have to attend, claim, and employ beauty. And so this is the belief that this is how we refuel in whatever way that means to different people. For me, it's through my art. Through other people, it's through lots of different actions, creativity. And I, I do feel like that is that is my goal and my duty almost it's become. And so I like to encourage other people to be change makers and give them actionable items and help them understand that it is still possible to make change. It's not too late. And maybe we, I can give fuel to other people to keep going when they feel empty or in despair and um, that teach other people. My, my future goals are more to teach people how to refill their well, their own wells, so that they can activate and become active and not just become frozen. And I'm trying to find more ways of doing that, that type of work. 
So you were talking about sort of the work, how it impacts your mission and and doing this for your kids. And, and I think this younger generation just sort of has this dark cloud over their head in a way that maybe we didn't. And I know I have a 19 year old Mm -hmm. living in New York going to college there, and she's constantly talking about in one part of the city, they have this climate clock, which is this huge digital clock that's counting down what point everything is, you know, irreversible. Oh my God. And she, she told me it's really stressful. You know, it's already on her mind. I think it's in the consciousness for this generation. But then when she's having to walk past this clock on her way to class, it just adds another layer. And so I can really appreciate what you were saying about, you know, having kids and doing this work with with that view in mind. Yes. Sounds like your daughter is among a lot of the children of this era. They're going through it. And with that clock ticking, every time she walks past it, that sounds incredibly stressful. And I, I understand the, the <laughs> why that's there, why someone would make that. But um, it almost gives no, the clock doesn't give someone any agency to do anything about it. So it just only creates stress. But I think, I uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I also wonder if it's not particularly targeting the right demographic because the people that are aware of it are aware of it and are doing the work. And like you Mm -hmm. said, that just adds another layer of stress. I don't know Mm -hmm. that it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's an interesting conversation to wonder if, if this is having an impact. As you're doing your work and, you know, thinking about I don't know if you sort of start off thinking in a series or if it's just piece by pit piece, but how does your process and your choice of materials in this work reflect this commitment that you have to sustainability and environmental responsibility? So I thank you for that question. I appreciate that. I My process depends on if I'm working on a show, a body of work, or if I'm working on one particular single piece for something else. And when I'm doing a creating a body of work, I do work within a framework, a theme, and I it's usually something I've already been that's been brewing for a while. And the theme is more recently has been all environmentally eco issues relating to directly and indirectly to climate change. And that's the direction I'm going in more as I get older. And so my my process is directly connected still to what I mentioned before about my connection to the work that I do um, just to connect. And and so I believe that my my spiritual practice is my is part of my commitment to this sustainability and this movement. And my practice is my art. My art is my practice. And this is all, all of this together is a reflection of my beliefs and my commitment to social justice and environmental justice. And it's reflected in my work. It is all, my work is me. As I said, it's all the same. And so I can't not reflect it in my work. And the choice of materials are not, that I use are not exactly a reflection of my commitment to sustainability, but it's 
the materials I use are things I've uh, developed, materials I've learned to be comfortable with and that I feel like I understand how to work with. And I have developed my own kind of unique techniques with mixing media materials. And um, I would like to work more towards even using different materials, my own mixing my own pigments, and I'm working towards that. But it's your work has a very kind of earthy feel to it, you know, the color choices and and also mm-hmm. just the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And as we talk about climate change and climate justice, it's a very large umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so under that umbrella, are there particular issues um, or aspects of climate change that you're sort of most drawn to or that you feel especially is is especially crucial that to highlight your work. Hmm. So what I've been working with more recently is uh, I'm very drawn to work portraying endangered and extinct species. And that's something where my heart has been lately, the underrepresented, the beauty in that. And there's something that happens to the audience or the viewer when they see something precious perhaps known or unknown that they love or could have loved and are losing it at risk of losing it, have lost it. And I think that can create a certain, hopefully not despair. My hope is that it can create a sense of maybe, maybe urgency. I'm not sure what, what it would be for each person, but also a sense of maybe inspiration to make some change. And I write about those issues a lot in my blog and try to give tools for people if they are so moved so they don't just feel helpless and sad that they actually have something they can go and do. And um, so also I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very interested in the issue of cultural erasure and the erasure of cultures and, um, I I like to convey messages through my work directly and indirectly about climate change, environmental justice, as I mentioned, cultural erasure through through the symboli symbology, symbols and archetypes and through mythological this mythological container. And um, I relay I relate to climate change and environmental justice through the use of myth and symbolism and those the language of myth is timeless and just as much pertinent to today as the myths were when they were written it's a way it almost feels like it's bringing us back in some ways to sort of Mm -hmm. it brings us back to nature and kind of back Mm -hmm. to this place of i don't know you know long ago before we were in this place that we're at now, which feels in some ways so frenetic and, yes. you know, just the commerce, commercialization and industrialization and all the things where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of all of our interviews, we ask our guests mm-hmm. the same questions and we get this wonderfully varied response of answers. And the first mm-hmm. is your dream dinner guest, dead or alive, as few or as many as you would like. Wow, this is a really great question. 
My answer, first of all, would be, I would love to meet a lot of my ancestors, all the ones I know about and didn't, don't know about, don't have information about. I would love to meet all the grandmothers from our past that held wisdom that we no longer have access to. I'd love to hear their songs, their prayers. I'd love to hear about how they made medicine, how they, all the specific details, how they raised their children and grandfathers. That's my first thought when that question, with that question. And then if I were to get more specific with people that I know in this time, I'd love to meet Carl Jung, Mary Oliver, or uh, Chief Wilma Mankiller, the only first and only female in our time, anyway, female Cherokee chief, Chief John Ross, who was also a Cherokee chief who tried to prevent the Trail of Tears from happening, worked tirelessly. Joanna Macy is an idol. Wendell Berry, the poet. Those are some few people. I love the responses. I'm always amazed. And there's always names I've never heard of before. You know, it's I'm, I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. And what song is the soundtrack of your life? Okay, so I think I'm I'm going to have to answer <laughs> with two. It's really hard to choose one, and these are just the two I would pick today. Uh, someone, an artist, this artist named Joanna Newsom. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She has a song. I love a lot of her songs. Um, one song called "On a Good Day," and I love it because it's. I feel like it's a. It's, a similar way of how I create work, her her lyrics and her way of creating music are kind of wild in a similar creative way that I really relate to. And I love such a beautiful song. And as far as just a song that I feel like the words are just written for me, there's a song called Crooked Tree, and it's written and sung by Molly Tuttle. And so go listen to it and listen to the words. It's a wonderful song. And a lot of people will probably relate to being that crooked tree. Oh, that's fabulous. Okay. (laughs) Flat or sparkling? Flat. I would have to just say that. Yep. I own nothing sparkly. I wear nothing (laughs) sparkly. (laughs) What social justice cause is most meaningful to you at this moment? And maybe we've answered that today, but maybe there's others. So environmental, ecological justice, climate change, that encompasses so many things, human rights, criminal justice reform. If I had another life and time to work on something, I would be in the prison system working with these prisoners, prisoners, especially the ones on death row, to try and help find therapeutic alternatives and rehabilitation alternatives to Alternatives completely to the prison system, and then also alternatives to the death penalty. I'd be working on so many levels in cultural erasure and justice, as I mentioned before. Very important. And I do think it's slowly, slightly getting better, you know, Uh inch by inch in some different areas. And the last question is who your least favorite Supreme Court justice is. Okay. This will be a little tricky to answer. Um, My answer won't be very tidy, but anyone, the first three people would be the the three that were appointed by Trump. And then the next three down the list would be the three that were appointed by George Bush. And then um, 
those six seem to be the most dangerous in my equally. I'm not sure I could pick one that's more dangerous than the other. Although Amy Coney Barrett feels especially painful because she's a female and of our time and era and um, the things she's done already in her position. And I appreciate, though I appreciate how things were set up in our government years ago to keep a check and balance system with the Supreme Court, I do feel like it's it's very broken. And I'm not sure we're going to, in this time, going to be able to get much relief or justice in the Supreme Court system right now. And it is frightening that nine people appointed by not the people, not the citizens of the United States, but by presidents are appointed and have an enormous amount of power. And um, that is disturbing. And I don't know what to do with that other than hope that that can change. And I wish I knew how to work towards that change. Yeah. And again, going back, I don't, you know, I have two daughters. It's terrifying to me to think how we just keep going back, back to the future or something. Right. I don't yes. Know. It's very bizarre. Very bizarre. Um, yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And just to go back, you mentioned your blog a few times. So if people wanted to find you, find your work, where would they go? to see this and to get more information on you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. My website is treeoflifestudio.net. And you can find all of my work there and my portfolio and links to my Instagram all there. So Great. And, yeah. and for our listeners, as of this recording, there's an online exhibit that focuses on climate change and there's some fast fashion um, a portion of the exhibit and Rebecca's work is online as well at baderandsimon.com. So um, thank you again and have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to reach out and let us know your preference for flat or sparkling or anything else you'd like to share, you can find us on Instagram at Bader and Simon Gallery or online at baderandsimon.com, where you will find information on current exhibitions and programming. Until next time, have a fabulously artistic day.